One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Tom Hopkinson of The People and Jonathan Northcroft of The Sunday Times. We've been here before. It's the old psychodrama. Mourinho against Wenger, Machiavelli against Einstein, United against Arsenal. Who comes out on top, Tom? Well, I mean, it's a massive fixture for both of them, Mike. I mean, United, Mourinho, he's got his obvious problems. The problems that he's had with uh, Chris Smalling and Luke Shaw in recent weeks have highlighted... I don't want to say problems within the dressing room, because I think most of the players are still on side with him, but I think the players on the periphery, there's a bit of a problem there, perhaps, as maybe you would expect. But um, Arsene Wenger as well, you know, if he doesn't win this game, then it's a real test of where Arsenal actually are at. Of course, we all know this history of November that everyone's kept banging on about since Wenger himself introduced it that historically it's not been a great month for them and he's tried to play that down a little bit but I think if they do lose at the weekend to uh, Manchester United then I think a lot of people will jump on that and of course it starts questioning Arsenal's psyche again as we have done over many years uh, a time particularly when this season Wenger is saying that they're as strong mentally and as strong talent wise and depth wise as, as they ever have been but um, whenever these two managers speak about each other now or whenever they meet I think back to uh, when Mourinho came back to Chelsea and we sat down with him on the their pre-season tour in Southeast Asia and he gave us this great story about how he and Arsene Wenger had buried the hatchet, how they'd met at a couple of coaches' conferences and had dinner together and everything was forgotten, everything consigned to history. And I mean, we're talking a matter of months later, everything erupted again. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's going to be a fascinating fixture. Is it showbiz or is it real, that, that rivalry between them? And is it a reflection of the contrast in their managerial styles and personalities as people? I think it's very real. I think one of the things that I've learned about Mourinho over the years is that he's a lot less calculating than we think. He's a much more emotional beast and he actually doesn't manipulate the message as well as he probably should. So when he displays that kind of contempt that he's displayed for Arsene Wenger in the past, I think there's something really genuine there. It's a lot harder to know what Wenger feels about things, but we did see him shoving Mourinho on the touchline not so long ago, so that might be some sort of indication. Where it comes from, I think there's a number of issues. Principally, Mourinho is the arch-pragmatist. That's his brand, winning, doing what it takes to win. And it's irked him from day one in England that Wenger celebrated for beautiful football. 
without, as Mourinho would see it, the responsibility of having to win. It seems to annoy him uniquely that Wenger's had you know, 20 years in charge. I don't think any other manager sees that as a bad thing for the managerial profession, mm. except for Mourinho, that this guy's had so long in charge and so much stability. He, of course, was just dotted around between jobs every three years. And there might be a cultural thing. You know, Arsene Wenger is, is French, French a football establishment. He's, he's very erudite, he's of a certain class. And Mourinho does see himself as the underdog and a Portuguese as a small nation. I, I'm guessing there, but there does seem to be some sort of very basic character thing there as well. Mm. It's interesting. We, we get a lot of feedback during international weeks from... So, for instance, the, the Spanish Man United players have been talking about Mourinho. Yeah. And Herrera is basically praising him to the hilt, so he obviously needs his place. <laughs> He's talking about him as a really good attacking coach. We missed something. Well, no, I don't think we have. I mean, I, I think... There have been times when we've chosen to miss things. I mean, you think back to the Real Madrid side, which won La Liga with more than 100 points and scoring goals galore. And, and you think back to that Chelsea side that he first inherited, you know, and, and the way he had them playing with players like Arjen Robin, with Damien Duff, I mean, uh, Joe Cole. There, there was so much flair. I think, look, over the years, I think he, he has become more of a pragmatist, but I, I think that's almost... As he's matured, he's probably not been as willing to play with some of the flair that he, he was uh, wanting to play with or happy to play with when he first arrived. And we should probably never forget the fact that he did inherit and then did get his mm. hands on a very, very good squad when he arrived at Chelsea. But at Manchester United, you know, he, he, at the moment, you, you can't say that that has been a team full of attacking flair for the past three years. So he's got to put his stamp on it. And I think they will. I mean, I, I imagine he'll spend a lot of money again in January. I imagine he'll spend a lot of money again. I think, you know, just reading some of the reports coming out of Manchester and, and Jonathan's mm. on that patch far more often than I am so he, he'll know a bit more about this than me but Ed Woodward is clearly going to back Jose Mourinho in the transfer market mm. and he knows that Mourinho needs probably another two windows to really put his stamp on that side and, and get rid of what he sees as the Deadwood that they've had during the last three seasons. But it's very expensive Deadwood, isn't it? Now, yeah. you had the survey over the weekend that Manchester United, the average player at Manchester United is earning £5.7 million a year. You've got gazillions being spent yeah. in the transfer market, and as Tom says, probably even more to follow. When will they get to the stage where value for money matters? They should have got this stage a while ago. In fact, I, I question whether they really should have gone down this road because Manchester United used to be about something else. And on, I guess the significant change is the change to Woodward being in charge. Um, spending money, big players, has been seen as the sort of panacea. And the results aren't there to suggest that they've made the right call on that. The problem that they've got is that when you've got big spending without managerial stability, you tend to get guys splurging to try and fix someone else's mistakes or what they see as someone else's mistakes. When I look at that United squad, I see a, a, an expensive squad assembled by four different managers, essentially. And because it's four different managers with different philosophies, they're spending big to try and get rid of what the other guy was trying to do. And that's stopping them actually building something cohesive that you can then start to maybe not spend so much on. So it's, it's almost a, it's a spiral, really. And one thing about Mourinho's United reign that I think really does go against him is that his idea of problem-solving does rather seem to be spending money, bringing in big players. And we're not seeing him coaching, as we've seen other 
manager trying to coach their way out of trouble. At the moment, he just seems to think it's about spending and personalities. Mm. I'm not sure we'll ever get value for money again, you know, uh, while yeah. these TV deals keep coming in. I don't think Manchester United are the only team guilty of it. I just don't think... Uh, I think the rest of the world, and quite rightly so, look at the amount of money in the English league now, and English teams have to pay a premium, and I think they're willing to do it because they can afford now to write off... Mm. I mean, look at Mkhitaryan, you know. He, yeah. was, he was the, the best player in the £26 German league. million. Pounds. I mean, Mourinho was so outspoken mm. in the summer about the fact I, I wanted four players, I identified them earlier, got them in, and Mkhitaryan's not had a look in. I know he's not been helped by injury, but then he's not been helped by the performance mm. he's given, and you know, not proving to be a £26 million player at the moment. I mean, you're right on the value point, but you can have managers that, that turn away from spending. I look at Klopp, you know, in his first transfer window, he actually resisted the, the, the chance to, to try and... and do, you think he, do you think he would, if the money was put there, though, and he was, you know, I would imagine that was more That's, because John yeah. Henry didn't give him the budget. I mean, if you're a manager and, mm. and your owner comes, if, if, mm. if, if, if you're going shopping and, and somebody says to you, here's an extra few hundred quid to go and spend on clothes, then you'll probably spend it rather than... But think, if you look at, look at yeah. Conte, for instance, you know, Conte is managing with what he's got. Yeah. Okay, they will spend and probably yeah. spend very big. But that is what a mature, yeah. experienced, international quality manager does, doesn't and it's it? made him make better decisions. I mean, he, he wouldn't have discovered Victor Moses in that wing-back role if he'd had, you know, carte blanche to spend exactly what he liked. He's gone and found a, a coaching solution. And at some point, that should be what the coach does. Mm. I think with Klopp, that he has had a very firm idea of the players he's wanted for his particular system. And they haven't been big names. They haven't necessarily been expensive. Liverpool had a a £14 million sort of net surplus in terms of transfers. And he's the first Liverpool manager I've seen for years who hasn't actually complained on or off the record about transfers. <laughs> because he, for him, he was happy with, you know, Mane, Ronaldo, unwanted players, but some people that fitted his system. Mm. So, to me, that's what it's about. That's what these guys, these top elite coaches that we're banging on about, should actually be doing that. That's surely what they do. It's Conte coaching. still went out and bought Kante, one of the players of the yeah. year, for twenty plus million pounds. But so United yeah. bought Pogba instead. Well, of course, but, you know, yeah. But but but, right. but I think Chelsea. You know, Chelsea have been very clear to the media in the last couple of years that they. You know, you, you think back to David Dean saying they've yeah. parked their Russian tanks or they've parked <laughs> their tanks on the lawns. They're firing Russian notes everywhere. <laughs> they've made it very clear that they are not going to be competing with the likes of Manchester City for spending power these days. So I think again, you know, Conte. Yes, he's he's been very. Would he have found Moses had William uh, not had the personal tragedy of his mother dying and, and, and gone away? Or would, you know, he's been very clever with the way he's used Alonso and the way he's got the best out of Moses in recent weeks as well. But again, I just wonder if they'd said to him, you've got £90 million to spend in the summer, do you want Pogba, who will come, mm. or do you want Kante? Then it, that was a very big decision mm. for him to make. Mm. What about in terms of big decisions? You look at Manchester United. Heaven forfend that we should be seen as being cynical. But why is it that whenever Man United have a big game, they're linked with a player on the opposition side? You know, it started off with Jose Fonte at Southampton. Now they're being linked with Meza Ozil. That's not, that's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> well, um, th there's reasons why they would want him, obviously. You're right to, to sort of question the timing of, of that particular leak because... Isn't it crazy that they're, they're playing Arsenal of all weeks that, that that story comes out? But Mourinho and Ozil do have a, a, a real track record together. He recruited him for Real Madrid. He actually had Ozil probably had his best football. I mean, he's been great for Arsenal in the last couple Wasn't of years. He's his son's favourite player as well, didn't he? He was Jose Junior had the Ozil yeah. shirt, didn't he? <laughs> Ronaldo, he, he supplied all his goals. I think he was you know, 25, 26 assists a season. And 
their spells at Real Madrid absolutely coincided because uh, you know Ozil left as Mourinho was leaving, so they, they were really sort of bonded together. And Ozil is 28 years old. This is his last really really big contract. And Manchester United pay 250,000 pounds a week, whereas Arsenal's top wax 180. So if, if we're going to go down this slightly cynical route, then maybe from Ozil's camp, this isn't the worst story to come out either. Mm. Now we're sitting here on Monday morning. Uh, Lionel Messi has just announced that he's not going to immediately renew his contract to Barcelona. He'll make a decision when it's up in 2018. We've got there football's first million-pound-a-week player, haven't he? Will he play at Man City? The million-dollar question, isn't it? Sort of like the the billion-dollar question, probably. That um, I I don't know. I mean, it's it's fascinating with Messi from a, a financial point of view. You can fully understand why he's parked the bus on his uh, something he's probably never done in his football career, but he's parked <laughs> the bus on the financial talks because he's going to be in such a strong position at the end of 2018. He, he will literally be able to negotiate whatever deal he wants. And of course, on the back of negotiating a huge deal, whether it's mm. at Barcelona, uh, whether it's at Manchester City, whether it's in China, all the publicity that comes off the back of that, he's going to be able to negotiate hugely improved commercial deals as well. So, you know, £1 million a week will sound an incredible amount to the rest of us, but to him it'll probably be only half a third of what he's going to be earning. But what, what's, what interests me about uh, this, you and I spoke to uh, the man who took him to Barcelona. Joseph Colombia. That's right, yeah. in, uh, in Qatar. We, we had 15 minutes in his company, didn't we? And he was adamant that Messi shouldn't join Manchester City. Uh, he was adamant that he should see out his career at Barcelona, that a change now... It's, it's, it's almost too late for him to change, he was saying, and uh, I'd be inclined to agree with that. I, I think as much as Pep Guardiola would love to work with him again, as much as Bagiristin and Soriano would love to say to uh, Sheikh Mansour, we've delivered Julian or Messi, I just think he's synonymous with Barcelona, and, and I think even though City fans will probably disagree with this, I think it'd be a shame for him to sully the career he's had and the sort of association he's had with Barcelona by joining not just Manchester City, this isn't this isn't at them, uh, only other than they are probably the one team who could afford him, but I just think I'd, I'd love to see him as a football fan stay with one club and see it through. What about you, John? Well, we know exactly what he's looking for financially now because I think Ronaldo's two deals in the last couple of weeks gives him £100 million in his pocket before 2021. So Messi will want £100 million in, in one pence, won't he, in, in his next <laughs> commercial and contractual deals. And I'm like Tom in terms of the romance of his career. You want to just see him at the club he's had built around him just continue well, continue to delight us and continue to embed himself. But surely City's better than diving into the money pit that's China. Oh, oh, for oh, sure. I mean, doubt, the, yeah. the football would be over if, if, if we saw Messi in China for the money. I think that would be such a blow to us all, really. And it would be amazing to see him here, wouldn't it, as well? You know, in, oh, yeah. in that, you know to, to see him operating for one of our clubs, whichever one of our clubs. But, as, as Johnny says, that romantic side of it. I'd love to see him against Tony Poulos as well. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's little sort of delights you well, can we'll do. Find, we'll, we'll eventually find out you know, whether he could do it on a wet Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 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 I suspect maybe he can, yeah. <laughs> to be fair. You know, money is, is what we talk about so often in football these days, isn't it? We're going to have to talk about it uh, as regards to Tottenham now, where, you know, because they've got the BT Sport game on Saturday against West Ham. A lot of talk this morning about Harry Kane's contract. Hugo Lloris is up for grabs, it seems. Are Tottenham being hamstrung by their financial policy? 
Not at the moment, because you look at uh, the fact they finished third in the Premier League last season when I don't think any of us expected them to. Uh, they're unbeaten in the Premier League this season, albeit without, you know, with having a few draws recently and, and perhaps going just under the radar a little bit. I think the way Pochettino has got them playing and buying into his mentality is doing Daniel Levy a, a vast service because I think he's got play, a group of players who are young and hungry and who want to play for him and perhaps at the moment will forego those salaries that are perhaps on offer elsewhere because they get the chance to play for a team, they, a manager they believe in, um, play for a club that looks like it's going places and play... I think one of the things that's really come through for us in the media when we spend time with any of Tottenham's players is the fact that they're, they're this group that they all seem to be playing with their mates at the moment. You know, they're a similar age and coming through together and, and that's been a, a great thing for England. Now, the question was, do I think Spurs have been hamstrung by it? Not at the moment, but I think there is a potential for them to be that way because, you know, if, if Harry Kane in a couple of years hasn't won the silverware that perhaps uh, he feels he uh, will have the capabilities of winning elsewhere and he gets the chance to go and earn the sort of money that he just isn't going to earn at Tottenham Hotspur, then it could well be a problem for them, not necessarily long-term, but you know, in the medium term. If you're looking after Harry Kane, Jonathan, what would your advice be? Stay, build your reputation, mm. you know, cement your status as a legend at a particular club, or go for the money? It would always be stay. That's maybe this is the way I see football. I also see what Tottenham have given Harry Kane and what Pochettino, more at the point, has given Harry Kane. And Tom's right about the, the kind of spirit there, the, 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 the bonds. I mean, I was struck by, in the summer, seeing Harry Kane, Deli Ali, Eric Dyer on holiday together. Yeah. After being with England at the Euros, <laughs> yeah, you'd think yeah. you'd want to get away from it all, but there's genuine friendship there. Um, Tottenham are going to face a crossroads because of this new stadium and because of the amount of money other clubs are spending, where they will have to ask themselves the question, do we continue to ask Pochettino to, to keep developing players from the youth side or do we give him just a little bit to, to augment all of that? And, and I think actually he'll be the one to wrestle with that question because mm -hmm. if, if Pochettino decides, I can't do this any longer, I need to spend a bit, then that will bring things to a head. But it has a knock-on for everyone. And for Harry Kane, although he should stay, he should stay with Tottenham as they are at the moment, as in a top four, top five Champions League contending club. If we're talking about a different Tottenham who start to slip down to sixth, seventh and are outside the elite, then I'd view it differently on his behalf. I think if Pochettino goes, that's when the problems yeah. mm. arise for Spurs. Because what struck me, I spoke to uh, James Ward-Prowse last week mm. and, and he was absolutely buzzing about Pochettino a year and a half after he left him. He said, what a fantastic... <laughs> Just trying to get a move to Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> Very possibly, yeah. Um, you know, we talked about stadiums, and you're right, they will be hamstrung by that. But with West Ham, is this move to the Olympic Stadium just almost a big red herring? Because, frankly... You know, a main stand doesn't make you defend a set-piece badly, does it? Not at all, no. I mean, uh, it was interesting. Our desk came up with what uh, I thought was a great idea to uh, send me in the Stoke end for the West Ham game uh, last weekend because, uh, you know, I wanted to see what it was like from an away fan's point of view given the, the violence um, that had erupted in the Chelsea game, which, uh, from a professional point of view, I thought was a great idea. From a personal point of view, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> so sure. But, but, <laughs> yeah, so I got, got the accent near enough, so we're fine. But just have to call everyone me duck. Oh, no, <laughs> but they, um, no, we, and... And I have to say, it, it, 
couldn't have run more smoothly. They threw this huge police presence at it and it was a great experience, you know, going to this wonderful stadium. Uh, everyone was as behaved as you can expect from a football crowd. Uh, there was an undertone, you know, there, but that's you sort of want that, don't you? You don't want football to be completely sanitised. Uh, but on the way to the ground, I heard a couple of West Ham fans chatting and one of them said, the problem we've got is that we... You can now, the view you've got of the game, you can see every pass that is open <laughs> and you can see when the players are making mistakes more than you could at Upton Park. And I yeah. thought to myself, well, I wonder if, yeah. I wonder if that actually is. They're, they're just form, they're even more educated as a crowd now <laughs> than they were. But I, I think you're right. I think, you know, the, the stadium, you cannot blame it. People have to get used to it. You have to get to a new ground. And I spoke to Mark Noble about this, you know, the new, the new drive to the ground. And it will feel a little bit new for them. But I, I think... Yeah, there's only so much. Once you, once you run onto the football pitch, there's only so much you can blame for uh, uh, the lack of effort and mm. performance and endeavour. What about Dimitri Payet, Jonathan? Mm. You know, we've been waiting for the come and get me plea, haven't we? And I think we've finally yeah. got it. Was that inevitable that he will leave West Ham, maybe even as soon as the January window? No, I, 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 I mean, it doesn't surprise me now, but he seemed to be a little bit different to, to other footballers. He seemed to have... Because he had this kind of itinerant career where he'd, he'd spent quite a long time dotting around France trying to find his home and he found a home at Marseille which you know aren't a club you go to for success it's a club of passion and he seemed to have found something similar at West Ham and, and that seemed to be what made him tick and I spoke to Dimitri Pai I think you might have been there as well Tom yeah. towards the end of last season and he did come across as somebody just a bit different from your sort of you know flash money orientated footballer uh, of, of his ilk so I'm not surprised that actually he is all the, the same as all the rest of them because that's a lesson you learn in, in, in our business all the time, isn't it? Um, I think it would be sad. And I, I think, you know, slightly like the Harry Kane, if, if I would justify it on his behalf, West Ham have become a different beast than yeah. they were last season. And that's probably what he's thinking. He, he doesn't, he's, he's not a relegation-fighting player, is he? No. He, he was very much, when, 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 we, when we spoke to him, he, he was back in uh, his home island of Reunion yeah. and he said he was quite happy. Yeah. He just wanted to play football there. He'd, he'd fallen out that's of yeah. love with the professional game and he was just happy to... And then all of a sudden the opportunity came back and he said his dad and his uncle pretty much kicked him yeah. all the way to back to France to say, look, you've got yeah. this incredible opportunity. So Johnny's right, you know, he isn't that sort of money-driven footballer. But if West Ham keep languishing around the, yeah. the bottom of the division or, you know, just maybe above the relegation zone, then there will come a point. I don't think it'll come in January, but uh, because he's, he's just signed a new five-year deal yeah. as well, I yeah. think. But perhaps next summer, if he starts agitating, if he doesn't see West Ham bringing in players that, that will match his quality and his ambition, then, yeah, they could have a problem. We spoke earlier of Manchester City's potential future mm. with Messi. What about the present? They're at Crystal Palace at the weekend. If Palace lose that, how much pressure is Alan Pardew under? Oh, yeah, it, it, it comes and goes with Pardew, doesn't it? Pressure and form, and because he's such a streaky manager. And I think he started the season under huge pressure because of how badly Palace yeah. finished last season. And he seemed to have got himself almost out of the woods and now has sort of fallen back into it. So he's got an ally in Steve Parrish, but there are two Americans also making the decisions who, you know, I don't think there's, not saying there's a division there, but they won't have the same buy-in to Alan Pardew that, that Steve Parrish has. And because this, this, the, the division is so brutal at the moment that it looks like, you know, with the exception maybe of the bottom two clubs, there's going to be a huge fight of similar teams to keep out of the, that, that last relegation place. I think, you know, it, it's going to put enormous pressure on any manager that's flirting around that area and having a bad run. And, you know, he's lost the sort of... It doesn't have the credit of last year as well. If he loses and 
continues in this rot, he'll depend a bit on Steve Parrish to be his protector. If that goes, he's in trouble. He started at Newcastle well, didn't he? And then yeah. it, it tailed off a little bit. And yeah. I think that's unfortunately for him. I don't know yeah. whether it is the case or not, but I think there's maybe a little bit of a reputation there that he comes into clubs, starts mm -hmm. very well. I mean, when he when he first came back to Palace, he was it was sensational, yeah, it was, wasn't, wasn't it? it? You know, he did yeah. a did a great job uh, in keeping them up. But yeah, as, as Johnny says, Parish will be his man, his ally. But um, if the Americans who haven't got that same feelings uh, towards Pardew for everything he did for the club as a player, if they decide, then there's not going to be a great amount Parish can do to change their minds. Speaking of Americans, uh, this is going to sound daft, but Bob Bradley has had mm. what, three games. Yeah. They play Everton at the weekend. There's already murmurings about that whole club beginning to implode. Yeah. What sort of credence do we give those murmurs? I would give them credence because it's an unhappy place, Swansea, all of a sudden. The rift between the supporters and, and the supporters trust, ex-supporters trust people like Hugh Jenkins who are, who are in charge there, uncertainty about the, the Americans. And Bradley suffering for that, I think, when he came in, you know, being tarred as the Americans' man, where actually, to me, he's a coach with a, a decent CV that, um, you know, if he, I think if he was German or French, there wouldn't be a question about him with a similar CV. I think we've maybe got a bit of a prejudice about Americans in football. But anyway, he, hasn't, he didn't start in a stable position. Swansea aren't a stable club. And what they have shown over the years, Swansea, is a real brutality about sacking people if they think they're going to be in relegation trouble. They got rid of Gary Monk very quickly. They got rid of Guedelin quickly. quickly. Too quickly? Too quickly, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And they got rid of Guedelin pretty quickly after you know, finishing last season quite well for them. So that shows a club that will act. There's no sort of culture of, of wait and see at Swansea. And Unfortunately for Bradley, he's starting to need results now. Mm. Club that's seeming to be in harmony is Liverpool. Now, whether that's Jurgen Klopp, we've talked about their you know, transfer policies. Mm. Now, I think you've got a couple of ideas about who they've been looking for to shore up that defence. Yeah, yeah, they're, uh, they've been looking at... Uh, they want a new central defender and a, and a new number nine in, in January. Uh, Jonathan Tarr is uh, the Bayer Leverkusen defender. He's one of the uh, players on Klopp's radar. A man, of course... Klopp will know very well from watching his development in Germany. You know, he's, he's a player who's been likened to the the new ilk of defenders, the Varans, you know, the John Stones. These I say new ilk. I mean, Bobby Moore probably be thinking in, <laughs> about doing that years and years ago. But this, you know, very much a footballing central defender. I think Klopp's done a great job with Liverpool's defence this season. Obviously, all the plaudits have gone to everything he's done with the attack because they've been so good to watch going forward. But I think from where they were last year, there's still a lot of work to be done. Hence the reason he he does want more competition for place at the back and someone for the long term, because I think Lovren is, is still prone to a, an error, but Matip looks like being a, a very yeah, good signing. Definitely. And, yeah, so I think from Liverpool fans' perspective, I'd be very pleased to, you know, they're not, there's not wholesale changes wanted, but just a, a number nine to uh, rival Sturridge when he plays to take some of the pressure for goals off Firmino, who looks like he's in that spot at the moment for the foreseeable future and, uh, yeah, shore yeah. up that defence. And, of course, Ings is injured, so that, that's something yes. he wouldn't have budgeted on yeah. and he's going to lose Mane to the, the Cup of Nations yeah, for correct, three yeah. or four weeks which, given how well Manny's playing, is huge. Liverpool have got an issue as well because January's a big, big month for them. And If you look at the fixtures, I think they've got Chelsea, I think they've got uh, United again, um, might be City, was one of the Manchester clubs. It's a big, big month and you know Manny, who's been one of the, the key parts of it, will be away with the Cup of Nations. So uh, I think Tom's right about the targets and if they bring in a striker or a forward, I think they have to try and do it pretty quickly in January. Mm. Is, is Sturridge getting his retaliation in first? He's talking about, look, I'm not a lazy player. Yeah. I love Daniel Sturridge as a player. 
but there's something I think he probably hasn't quite realised. I, I don't think he's a selfish player when it comes to having the ball. I think we don't appreciate his, his movement is very, very good. He does create for other people. He didn't earlier in his career, but he's evolved that. But what he doesn't do is the real hard work off the ball, the pressing, which is why he's not in the, in the Liverpool team. There's a deeper question as to whether we'd actually want him to do that because he's, he is a striker, he's, he's an old-fashioned player. You, we wouldn't ask Jermaine Defoe to do that. And I think football's... De Campocar did. <laughs> exactly. I think David Moyes has, to be fair, and found the answer was quite short. But it's funny the way football's going because, you know, some teams are still playing with the traditional striker. United's Latin, he doesn't press. But others are going down a different route. We've even seen this with Aguero at Manchester City. And I think that actual Daniel Sturridge is another player that might find himself caught on this divide in, in, in terms of the way football's going. Mm, but he's established within... The England setup. Yeah. What about Gareth Southgate? We have to end looking again forward. A pretty facile win over Scotland, to be perfectly honest. Sadly. With, you know, with, <laughs> with great respect. True. Do you think he should get the job, and how long should he get the job for? Yeah, I, th I think he. The first question, yes, I do think he should get the job. Unfortunately, I, I think it is possibly because of a, a lack of other candidates but I, I, you know I also there's another part of me that thinks actually I quite like the idea of going down the route that Germany went down with uh, Joachim Love they you know they were happy to give the job to somebody that they felt understood the way their game was developing you look at Spain now uh, Lopetegui he has worked with the under 21s as well and, and Southgate knows those players very very well you know the players who are going to be England's future I would give him a two years plus two year option of a contract because I think if we fail spectacularly in Russia assuming we get there then um, I, I think you have to change you have to change managers and then there's the clause there that you don't have to extend mm. his deal but of course if everything goes well and they are baby steps at the moment but it looks like it's it looked like there was progress certainly I know it's only Malta and Scotland with the greatest of respect again Johnny but baby steps again so you know if he continues to progress then they've got the option in mm. place to keep him on for the next Euros because well. he has made the right choices he's handled Rooney really sensitively you get the impression that because he is of the system, he will make that system work. Yeah, he's got. There's a confidence about him actually, a quiet guy, but the confidence mm. about this, that decision making probably because he is from within the system and he knows that he's got backing. And I agree that he's made good decisions. He's made tough decisions. I think the team's progressed a little bit as well from his first two games and also from Sam Allardyce's game. I mean, for me, on as poor as Scotland were, and they were devastatingly poor from my point of view, but. England did do something a bit different. They, they started to show that they, they have a few ideas about breaking teams down, which they, they didn't have in Gareth's first two games and they didn't have under Sam in, in Slovakia and they didn't really have at the, at the Euros. So we tried a couple of things with Sterling in the hole with Lallana sort of linking play that were quite good. The defence was, was poor, but at least you could see him addressing one part of the team. Tom's right, there's no other real English candidates and unless you're going to pay eight or nine million pounds a year for your boutique foreign super manager, which I don't think there's any point in England doing, then he's the obvious candidate. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Four more years has a ring to it, doesn't it? <laughs> Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Even 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.